Where did you like to play as a child? I ask this question a lot because childhood memories shape us into the people we become. Welcome to Play It Forward, a worthy podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Ritson. Thanks so much for joining me. I talk a lot about play. I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I'm an educator, and I'm a playground designer. So I want to gather some of my favorite people who are advocates of children and nature and create a space to have an honest conversation about getting more kids outside. The power of play is very often underestimated and I think we all need a little more play in our lives. Welcome to another Play It Forward Worthy podcast. Um, I've got a special treat to you today, all the way from Tennessee in America. We've got the amazing Jason Gibson. And for those of you that don't know Jason Gibson and any of you a part of the Parent TV family, um, you will soon know more and more and more about Jason Gibson. Um, a bit of background on Jason. Jason's the director of the amazing Bab Center for Counseling. Um, it's one of the largest counseling centers in America. Um, and prior to assuming the leadership role at the Bab Center, Jason was uh, learning and behavioral consultant, working with schools for treatment of across the US, supporting children and adolescents with social, emotional, or behavioral issues. Um, with degrees in psychology, social work, education, um, Jason's peer-reviewed research has been published in journals such as Topics in Early Childhood Special Education, Closing the Gap, and Education and Treatment of Children with Developmental Disabilities. So thank you, thank you so much for joining us, Jason, via the Skype, uh, Zoom, I should say. Yeah, excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. No worries. Um, we were lucky to meet on the Gold Coast when you were doing a quick tour a few weeks ago. Um, day one, coming out of uh, isolation back in Tennessee, and you survived. Survived I the did. isolation I'm I... talking about, nothing else. <laughs> yes, I also have four children, so we'll see if I survive that. <laughs> and they're in complete lockdown. To Give us an update for the, our listeners, what's happening there. Yes. Yeah, so in the U.S., or at least in the Middle Tennessee area, they so school has been called off. Well, at least this time they've shifted everything radically to all online. Yep. So it is um, everyone's home. You're supposed to stay at home and yep. do work, family connection, school, everything in between. Yeah, everything on top of each other. Um, and a phrase that came up for me that I've been encouraging people to view this time we're at the moment that we're going through, and I love your framing of it and referring to it as the, these unique times. So I appreciate <laughs> that input. I'm trying, I'm trying to stay on their unique yes. trade. We're going to talk about a few things today, and, and that's one of the things. This is such a huge topic in the world, and I think your vast knowledge of supporting children and talking to the educators that are listening, talking to the parents that are listening, and your work with supporting children dealing with trauma. Um, also, we talked, you mentioned there about everything going online, so I'd hope to talk to a bit about that today and how to support your children online as well. Um, we'll start off with where we always start off for our guests is where did you play as a child? Hmm. So... I had a very, I lived in a very unique place. Um, I grew up in the state of Florida on the coast in the United States and all the schools in Florida, just because the weather is very similar to where you are. 
um, the schools, all the doors were on the outsides of the building. So you would like in high school, you would walk to your class, you'd walk outside and then go in the door and then you'd go outside to your next class. So there are lots of outward facing doors. Well, during that time, they found that if some, if a family lived on the school grounds, it reduced theft and vandalism and all those types of things. So as a five-year-old child, my dad moved us onto the school grounds of the local high school. Wow. And it was the best place in the world that anyone could grow up because at the age of five, I had a baseball field, a football field, a soccer field, basketball courts, a swimming pool, racquetball courts, like pretty much any experience that you could have, any athletic endeavor I had access to, uh, had the best skateboarding places that you could skateboard. And at night, my dad would lock the fence to keep people from coming inside. So it was a giant playground. Wow. And um, I'm the oldest of four. So I always had people to play with. And the school had giant oak trees so we could climb and do and run and be and uh, we could imagine catching the winning touchdown or hitting the home run or scoring the winning goal and do that over and over and over again. So good. Such unique, unique experience for sure. I think that's the most unique answer I've got <laughs> from asking all that. Guess. <laughs> um, and how do you think that contributed to where you are now and that experience in your childhood? Yeah. So my mother, um, this was also really unique. My dad, my dad was a steel construction painter. So a blue collar, as we would refer blue collar, hardworking man. And um, four children, we would always argue over who was going to get to watch what television show. Yeah. So I remember in the fifth grade, my dad came in one day and he said, kids, I'm tired of you arguing over the television. So it's gone. And he took the television out of our home. Now, Wise. I was in the fifth grade, so I could put it together. I said, like any good fifth grader, um, because we have hurricanes, I know cyclones, I believe that's what you call them. Yep. But I said, Dad, how are we going to know when the hurricanes are coming? Because we'll have the television with a little warning down on the bottom. And uh, the next day he came home with a radio. So <laughs> what happened was... Uh, four children at home, no television. This was before internet was accessible. Um, we just had to play outside. And my mom said, you have to play outside. So we just had an incredible experience of no choice but to go out and play. So what that taught us was you have to get along with your playmates because nobody else is coming. Yep. And you have to figure out something fun to do because that's way better than just sitting in the sun. Yeah. So it was just constant arguments, disagreements, makeups, and then creation and just over and over and over again, because we had no other option. So you became the counselor at five between your siblings and it carried on. <laughs> <laughs> Very well said. My mom did say that I was the peacemaker when I was younger. There you go. So uh, maybe so, maybe so. Awesome. And, and how did you find yourself um, at the Bab Center and exploring so many different things from psychology and education for our listeners? Yeah. So what's fascinating about this is when you look at the academic realm, everyone thinks that they are right. When you have people that come at it from an educational perspective, 
uh, we can even dig into that, like a direct instruction model versus a constructivist model. Or when you look at the field of counseling, someone that comes from a behavioral analytic point of view, someone comes from a positive psychology point of view, like everyone thinks that they're right. Yeah. And what happens is because you may not speak their language, then people don't listen to you because you're not their way. So therefore you're not right. So what I just dove into the world and I found out where people are bilingual, where they can speak Spanish and English. Uh, I chose to be trilingual in regards to treatment philosophies. Yeah. And what I found is I've dug deep into all of those education, counseling, psychology, social work. We're really all saying the same things. Yeah. We just have different labels that we put on those same types of things. Um, an example would be this idea of transfer of knowledge that you learn something and you need to transfer it into new environments. Well, a behavioral analyst will call that generalization. Yeah. It's the same thing. It's just a different label. So to me, ultimately it was about being able to maximize my involvement in children's lives so that change could happen. And what I found was adult change always happens before child change. Yeah. And what I was coming up against was being able to speak the language that the adults knew either in schools, treatment facilities, or families so that they could then be equipped with the tools to meet the needs of the child. Because if you just wait for a child to just magically stop hitting you, yeah, it may or may not be the best approach. So let's dig in so that everyone can get on the same page. Yeah. So working with the parents as closely as that child for the greater good of all. That's right. That's right. That's and what the children needed, the children needed an adult that could help their parents see the love that they had for the child. Yeah. Because what happened was you're just so exhausted with trying to live life and to make it through. And on top of that, the difficult situations that the children may bring that you lose that vision of who that beautiful child is. Yeah. And I could come in and remind the parents about how wonderful that they're created and how their ability to literally climb up the wall and swing on the fan actually is good. Yeah. And to show them how to take all of that and put it in the right direction so that that child can accomplish all the wonderful things that they were created to accomplish. Yeah. What's some techniques that you or strategy you would implement to try to let them that parent reframe that child's the view of the child mm -hmm. yeah yeah well one technique um would be to separate the choice from the child when a child does something many times parents may say and not because they're trying to be hurtful just because they're reacting see reacting is just your what you do right in that moment. And I try to coach parents on how to respond, which means an intentional yeah. choice in a difficult situation. Yes. So I love the re react respond. So good. Yeah. So it's, it's just a little linguistic change, but what I do with parents is I just think I encourage them because now they're like, Oh, I'm responding now, which is growth. So, um, so a response would be that choice was dangerous or that choice was not safe. And I don't mean it in the adventurous type of safe. I mean, like hurt somebody safe. Yeah. Um, instead of saying you're a bad kid, say that was a bad choice. Yeah. 
because what we don't want is the child or the teenager to allow that negative response to the situation become their identity. Absolutely. We just want to label, we just want to label the decision. Yeah. So, so that might be like a simple, a simple encouragement, separate the choice from the child. But, but really, and this is where, when you and I spent time together in the Gold Coast, that I just so resonated with what you do. What I find more often than not is parents take away play and free time as a punishment. Yep. And what unfortunately happens is that's the time that the child needs the most. That when you think that you're punishing, and this is true for educators too, that when I remove the child from free play or I remove the child from engaging in outdoor activities, that that's punishing the child. Really, ultimately, it's just punishing the teacher. Yeah, It just takes a, an hour because the child now has all this pent-up energy and all of these thoughts, feelings, and opportunities to express him or herself and they did not get it, get the opportunity to do it outside. Yeah. So now they're cooped up in a classroom being asked to do a mathematics worksheet that they didn't want to do in the first place. Yeah. So that's where like when working with educational environments is just equipping them with what I call proactive strategies, things to do on the front end that reduce problematic behaviors rather than only doing reactive strategies that are a response to when it's already happened. Yeah, and I think this for specifically the parents listening is ever so important in these times where they are they have the tendency to be transitioning into the teacher role with so many children working from home at the moment. Um, we're on holidays for the next few weeks, but there's talk of when school's due back, everything's going to be online. So I think with this react response, see that beauty in the child, and um, you know they are this little pressure cooker of emotions. And if you want to mm -hmm. open it up and see the goodness inside, you got to kind of take that valve off first, let that pressure out. And that little valve's the play. That's the free, that's the independence. Like release that a little bit and let, then you can take off the lid and get, enjoy it. Otherwise you're just going to be, yes. have a stuck pot. <laughs> that's right. That's right. You know, something else that I do with parents is like, I just allow them to know that their children are normal. See, yeah. so I've got four kids and three of them are girls. Yeah. And my first two children were just naturally compliant children. And what I call them, I call them confidence killer, killers because I thought I was the best parent in the world. And quite honestly, it had nothing to do with me. It's just the personality that I was gifted with in my children. Yeah. And then my son came along and my son was like, adventurous, climbing, jumping, swinging, experimenting, trying to figure out all of these things of what will happen, this whole cause and effect relationship. And I thought, whoa, 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 what's going on? And then I had to step back and remember, wait, this is a boy. This is a different personality. And just because something is different, it doesn't mean that it's disordered. Yeah. And what we find is that as many families, we experience differences and that we try to squash those differences into compliance when rather we need to be focusing those differences into success. Yeah. So sometimes all that we need as parents is to say, Hey, this is normal and it's okay. 
So what we want to do is to give him or her the freedom to express all of this in a way that's safe as far as he's not going to hurt somebody else and in a way that just allows them to thrive in creativity. Yeah. And I'm just like reflect on your child as, okay, what tools do they learn? Uh, what tools do they use to understand their world? Um, girls, social, emotional tendencies, more delicate, a lighter touch. The boys rock up, want a more sensory, heavy-handed approach to understand their world. So they pull out their blunt tools. And they've got their hammers and their mm-hmm. saws and they want to hit stuff and break stuff to understand it. Is one right? Absolutely not. It's just, okay, let's see our child. What tools do they have for their success? I love that. That's right. And even when it goes, going back to what you said about react, respond, um, I can have a tendency to be um, really focused in what I'm doing. If it comes to work, I'm very focused. And then I get home and I can be very like, direct my wife's like hey what about this and i'll be like da, da, da. and she would like kind of look at me like that was very direct and i'm not i'm not at work so <laughs> and um <laughs> we're having discussions around it and she calls it my work face um and mm. we came up with just she goes how do i how do, how what's an approach we can have to this because obviously I, I don't enjoy it um and i just said ask me am i reacting or responding so I'll be short and she was like, is that a reaction or is that a response? And then I can be like, mm. that's a good point. And that gives us a framing to, for me to re-engage and respond. So that habit continuously, even with children, like co-parenting, were we reacting then or were we responding? And it's a very gentle, that's a light tool in itself, just that framing. Mm. It's so great. Yeah. Thank you for that. Hey, one. I also encourage... I encourage parents too that if you are fortunate to be able to be raising a child with someone, um, and and I just you know want to encourage single parents because you know you are doing a superhuman feat, and I yep. want to acknowledge just the amazing person that you are. Um, but if you find yourself in a space where you do have someone to parent with you, like actually having a code word. Um, Because there's times like I know in my parenting moment that when I'm reacting, like I'm not cognitive of it. It's not like in the moment I'm like, oh, I'm reacting right now instead of responding. So being able to have a relationship with your partner in such a way that you give her or him permission to say whatever. And it's some sort of code word that only you two know. So that means, hey you're reacting. I need you to step back. I'm going to step in and we'll follow up later. Yeah. So it's it's such an important, I would do, you know, as we do that, my family, I encourage the families that I work with to do that, but I also do that with educators that sometimes you've got teaching pairs that are working with children with severe emotional disorders. Yeah. Just having that code word, because then it allows you to notify one another without allowing your disagreement to become the issue. Yeah. Right? It allows the kid to stay the center, but you become aware that you need to step back so that someone else can step in. Yeah. And when it comes to the families you're working with in these, these current times, um, what are the challenges you're seeing via your telephone calls? Cause there's no contact, um, with families. Cause I'm <laughs> sure that there's a lot of families that are, we're on the other side of the world, but they're still working through the same challenges. So what are the challenges you're seeing families facing at the moment? 
Yeah. So, you know, that's interesting. Uh, so such a great question. So I was, I was meeting with the team yesterday and um, our psychiatrist or lead psychiatrist, she said, Jason, do you know what's interesting is that what I'm noticing about the virus is that yes, people are losing their jobs, which is tragic. Um, but the, the Corona and the situation and kids at home is really only magnif magnifying the issues that were already present. Right. Yep. See, right now, a lot of children still have that holiday feel. I'm on holiday. I'm on spring break. But what's happening is in, in America right now, we're transitioning out of that time back into the normal season that school would be in session. So it's lost that laid back feel. Yeah. Parents are overstressed because they feel this pressure to be what they need to be as an educator for their kids, but also like they may have lost their job or they're about to lose their job or, you know, they just, the uncertainty of it all. So when you had communication difficulties or you had strained relationships, like those are still there. They're just magnified 10 yeah. times. So the problems that you had before are the same problems you have right now. They're just a lot worse. And yeah. it's, it's really being able to step back. Um, it's difficult to tame an issue if you cannot name the issue. Mm. And, and forgive me for rhyming there, but it just helps me remember and it helps the people that I work with remember that they think I need to fix this problem, but they cannot articulate what the problem actually yeah. is. So then what we do is we step back and say, okay, what is the problem? And then we spend some time exploring really what it is. And, and I'll, you know, let's say an issue with a seven-year-old young, you know, seven-year-old boy in your home. Well, what's the problem? Well, he's always interrupting my meetings, my online meetings. I'm going to lose my job. He's not getting any of the schoolwork done. You know, he's always in trouble. I'm sticking him in timeout all the time. I don't know what to do. And as we begin to explore that, See, really, the problem is not him interrupting meetings. It's not him getting the schoolwork done. We got to keep going deeper. And the, and there's some other issues. Like the problem is he's just craving attention from his family. And he's yearning for that. The problem is he's got all of this drive to explore, yet there's no avenue to explore. Yeah. So as a family, if we only create solutions to keep him from interrupting your business Zoom call, we're not fixing anything. No. We're just cramming compliance down his throat. But if we're addressing that deep drive for attention from his parents and that deep drive to explore, if we can address those things first, then you're going to see that all the other stuff is going to begin taking care of itself. Yeah. And that, um, that yearning for like in when there tends to be uncertainty or, a break in this pattern, children will naturally seek like how a better way to understand it. What can I grab onto that gives me meaning? And I invite parents to just think instead of it being an attention seeking, just imagine it's connect connection seeking mm. opposed to the attention seeking. So, yeah. And um, what would be some tips for those parents that are working from home and be trying to be that teacher? Because I know you've got such value here in from a psychology perspective, standpoint but then you equally have the education standpoint and that seems to be what's conflicting in a lot of houses right now it's like all right how do I be that loving nurturing parent but I've still got to set this parameter to be the teacher as well what's your tips there 
Yeah. So uh, there's, I, I have no easy solutions. <laughs> so I want to just put it out there. Yeah. I have what I call necessary solutions, but they're not easy. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I found beneficial for me in my home um, is actually to look ahead and to understand everything that my children are being asked to do today. Yeah. What happens is, is you say, okay, go do your online work. Well, as a parent, if you haven't taken the time to click through all the pieces, maybe they're on Google Classroom, maybe it's just an email set of information, whatever it may be. Like if you have an idea of what they're being asked to do for the day, then you'll have a better understanding of how you need to space it out and to allow them work time and then play time or work time and then rest time or whatever it may be. Um, because if the expectation is that your child is going to sit at the computer or sit at the iPad and work for four hours straight, we're just setting everyone up for failure. So if we can take time to step back and say, okay, let me look at what needs to be done because you can see the hot spots. Like I know for my son, when it gets to math time, it's going to be frustration time. So, and I, I like to say, if you can predict, you can prevent You may not be able to prevent completely, but if you can predict, you can at least plan. And for him, when he is in social studies or when he's doing his language arts, no worries. He can just get at it and go. But when it comes to math time, I always make sure that he's got a break before math. I always make sure that I schedule my day where I'm free to pop in and to help during math time. And then I always make sure that there's some sort of connection time after math. See, if you just take the subject of mathematics, many times there could be children that do not enjoy it. So then as a parent, you come in because they're not doing it. And then you engage in an argument over and over and over about it. And then it ends up with someone in tears. And then you say, go to your room. So what's happened is this whole entire subject area is now associated with conflict. And then we wonder why as adults, many of us actually hate math because it was so much drama growing up. But instead, if we can join, so make sure we structure it with free time, play time, hard time, and then connect time to follow it, then we've completely reframed this whole experience that's actually not quite enjoyable. So it's, it's being able to do that in a way that's realistic as a working father so that I can look at their school day and try to structure my work day around it as best I can. Yeah. So using yourself as a resource. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. I like it. And, and quite honestly, when there's times that I know I'm not going to be able to do it and to be it, like, again, if I know this is going to be an issue, then I just say to them, hey, you know what? We're going to do something completely different today. You're going to get to do explore time while I'm in my meeting, which means run around in the backyard. And we're going to do math and milkshakes tonight. He's like, what's math and milkshakes? And I'm like, I'm going to make some chocolate milkshakes and we're going to do the math together. Yeah. Now translated into parent language, what that means is number one, I like milkshakes. So I'm going to be drinking a milkshake during math time. Number two, I'm going to do it at a time where I can give him my full attention yep. to be able to do that. Excellent. And it's working with your meetings. 
You, you can... Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so just a bit of a hypothetical here. Um, you've got a local family in your community. Um, they're not, they haven't lost their jobs, but they've got some couple children in their house. But there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a bit of tension. Um, what would be your overall message to them right now? Mm. So, you know, really, I would say this, let's come up with a way to simplify everything. And how I do that is I encourage families to get a common language. And what I mean by that is think about how many different ways you can tell someone to please be quiet. You can say, be quiet, hush, zip, zip it. You know, I mean, just on and on. I and mean, we could probably name 50 different ways. Yeah. And what we do as parents is when we're tense and upset and uncertain, especially in such uncertain times, we react so differently. And especially when our children are younger, we're saying the same thing, but we're saying it 17 different ways. And sometimes there's, it's loaded heavy with sarcasm. Sometimes I call them shame bombs. Like they're just throwing shame at your kids. And it's not that you're trying to hurt them. It's just you're reacting. So what I would encourage this family to do is say, okay, what are the two or three things that we really want to be the core of who our family is? And let's use that as our language. Let's use that when we're correcting and let's use that when we're connecting. And, and what I mean by that is like, like for us, one of our common language statements is that we see the needs of people around us and we do what we can to help them. It's super simple. My oldest is 18. My youngest is seven. Like we all get it. Now I help them understand it, but my seven-year-old, it could be helping set the table where my 18-year-old could be taking the grocery list and going shopping for the family. It's just different for the age, but it spans all ages. So that with the family that's in a hard spot, let's just totally simplify it and say, what are the two or three things that are about our family? That's our language of who we want to be. So it could be see the needs around you and do what you can to help. Um, Another one that we have is that um, we keep our hands, feet and unacceptable comments to ourself. Um, Now, as a parent one, another one is that you do what you've been asked to do right away, the best way that you can do it. Now, think about those three things that when my children leave my home, and I've used that over and over and over and over, that when they get into a place of employment, if they can keep their hands, feet, and unacceptable comments to themselves, and if they can do what they've been asked to do right away to the best of their ability, and if they can see the needs around them and do what they can to help, that is going to be a stellar employee. Yeah. And being a stellar employee, that starts all the way back to me trying to speak truth into their heart about what it is to be a great human being. Yeah. And, and where I would share this with families that are in a tough spot is you start peeling away all of the shame statements and you just dial it back into the things of like, wow our family sees needs and helps and that's exactly what you did. Yeah. And that's completely different than what you hear on and on in such tense, difficult situations. Yeah. hundred percent. And not only just future employment, but just the community members as well in their social yeah. groups and their, their wider community. You know, that one person can influence so many. That's amazing. 
I wrote that note for myself. I'll be working on that <laughs> one tonight. That's amazing. Hey, I'll say this. That's the beauty of, of play and adventure that my role as say a parent at a playground, when we're able to go back to those or as um, a teacher walking a classroom through the forest or the bush to explore is as they're exploring and creating and doing and imagining like now for the children that I have under my care, if I've come up with those three things, all that I'm doing is walking around and wonder about all that they do. And I'm like, wow, how did you think about that? And wow, I saw you help her up. And in our classroom, we see the needs around us and we do what we can to help. And you giving a helping hand is exactly what this class is about. Yeah. So it gives, it, it just, what it does is it takes all of these tools that people have written books and books and books about. They get super complicated and it just boils it down to a simple language when you connect and when you correct. And if yeah. we can do that, then we simplify it for our kids. Yeah. And that that's amazing. Like for those um, educators listening, come up with the workshop that w- with your groups, um, maybe it can be tied into your center philosophy and your, your statements as well that can tie into families and start impacting that way. You did mention there about um, shame bombs and shame statements. I'm interested in that. Um, what, what would be an example? Oh, uh, yeah. Not that I want to focus on the the negative, but it gives parents like maybe they'll hear (laughs) some similarity and be like, oh, okay, that's what that is. Yeah. So, so one way to know is to think this, like, and it's really sad, but most of us adults can actually go back in time when as children, people said things to us that hurt really, really bad. Yeah. Those painful moments, those painful memories, many times those were shame bombs. And what's interesting as a parent is we would say to ourselves growing up, I will never do that to my kid. Yeah. And there's sometimes you find yourself doing and saying those very same things. Yeah. But, you know, things that are just said without thinking, like get out of the way, you're always in the way. I remember as a, um, I was probably in sixth grade and growing up on the coast, you know, we had surfboards and everything. And, um, I remember being out in one of my friends, his dad's garage where the surfboards were and we we're looking at the surfboards. And I remember being in there and we we're looking and some of the tools were all spread out and we actually hadn't done it. But his dad came in there and just started screaming and just said, get out of here, get out of here, you idiot. You're always messing things up. Now, that I actually call shrapnel because that impacted me so much. Like I remember that just like it was yesterday, but he was screaming at his son. And I just remember thinking, Oh my gosh, I could not imagine having to listen to that every single day. Yeah. But the message that he was saying was you're in the way and you mess things up and you're an idiot. Mm. And really all that dad was trying to communicate was, Hey, my tools are all over here. Why are they all over here? So it's that emotional reaction in the moment, but things that when you're telling kids what they are instead of what they did, those tend to be shame bombs. Yeah. You know, that's a good you're in the way you always mess it up. Yeah. What they are, not yeah. what you did. So what they did. Yes. That's a, yes. And, and is yeah. that the so technique true. to define like the, um, to, to separate the um, behavior from the person as well? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. To separate the choice from the child. Yes, that's what. Because sorry. what's interesting is, mm-hmm, what's interesting is sometimes a lot of families will group them together and they'll just drop shame bombs on the kid, telling them who they are, that they're a mistake, yeah. rather than what they did, which was a mistake. Yeah. But then you kind of get the other side of completely detached, in which they don't actually discuss what happened at all. And that I find is equally disturbing in the lives of children. It's, it's kind of like a security guard at night, like at a school or a location that has a lot of doors, a security guard is going to go up to the door, grab the handle, twist it and shake it. Mm. Now the security guard does not want to find the door open. He wants an assurance that the door is safe and secure. So what we'll have at times is children will go to their parents and they'll do things that really shake it up. And what they're wanting is to know that the parent has a boundary line that says right here is the line and we're not going to go past the line. And what that does is it gives safety and security because now they know the boundary lines and they can rest in that. So we want to not, I want to make sure that I'm not saying we don't address the choice. I'm just saying we separate those out because we do have to have conversations and my poor kids and the work that I do. My son says this to all the time. He goes, dad, you're only talking to me like this because you're a counselor. I bet other kids don't have to go through all of this. (laughs) And then like my old, oh yeah. And then my 18 year old, like I was going in for the conversation with my 15 year old and I heard my 18-year-old in the other room go, uh-oh, dad talk. <laughs> and I was like, what? What? Take a seat on my couch. But, <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. And uh, But, you know, the, the beauty in all of that is, um, is the predictability. Like, they know. My kids know if this happens, we're going to talk about it. Yeah. If this happens, we're going to talk about it. And that predictability in their lives, I feel, gives them stability. And, and I just really try to encourage families that yeah. as a parent, the more that they know how I'm going to respond allows them to rest in knowing that I'm there and I'm there for them. So that again, predictability is, what was the framing for that? Predictability. Uh, I don't know exactly how I said it, but I typically say that predictability and how I respond provides stability, stability for my children, it. stability for my children, knowing, knowing that I yeah. will be there. Yeah. And that ties into the react respond. Like if you're responding, mm-hmm. it's going to be predictable because you're coming from that truth. And then that will in turn offer that stability because you're consistent with that. The reaction is the, the spike or basing our interaction on an anomaly, which is, not the opposite of stability, essentially. That's amazing. Um, yeah. You you said mentioned there about you know these. It's something that really intrigues me that you can have these like fleeting moments as a child. This is like off the cuff statements, and I think about it as a parent. Like, have I done that? Like, react, and that one little statement is going to stick with my daughter until she's talking about it. She's going to, or my son's going to get the shrapnel of a statement. Um, what 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 happens when what's happening within ourselves when we absorb those type of statements 
Mm, man, that's, that's a great question. Um, so I can speak for myself that when I've experienced shame bombs being dropped into my life, I, I think the ones that really stick are the ones that we think might be true. Yeah. Um, so again, my son, so he, you know, being kid number three, so he, his sisters were always older. So he would be at school and he'd have to sit with his sister. So he's around older kids. And I remember there was an older boy that, cause my son is unusually tall for his age. And he asked my son how old he was or what grade he was in, not how old he asked him what grade he was in. And my son told him, he goes, ah, you must be stupid to be that big and to be into that grade. See, now for me, when I was his age, that wouldn't have bothered me whatsoever because I knew I wasn't stupid. My mom had told me that I was smart, yeah. which that's a whole nother story. Repeat <laughs> and remember. Um, but for him, he actually worried about that and that stuck with him. And that was something that we had to address and we had to process because he felt that it might be true. Yeah. So it's those statements that we don't believe is true kind of bounce off of us, but the statements that have a little bit of truth in them, they really tend to stick and just drive a wedge into our hearts. But the truth of parenting children is we're going to say those things. Yeah. And, and that's where I just try to encourage all of us. We're going to make mistakes. And it's actually a good thing that we make mistakes because what we want our children to learn and to know is the whole process of apology and restoration. You know, being able to say to them, hey, I messed up. I said some things that I shouldn't have said, and I'm sorry. Now I want to show you truly what I see and then to reflect back um, a more thoughtful response. Yeah. And you want it to be, you want it to be honest, you know, because what I find in my parenting is that when I react, it's usually because of an emotion that's inside of me Yeah. that when my children do something, then there's some things because I've got like, you know, I've got all this pressure because like I'm a behavior consultant. My kids should be really good. Yeah. So when my kids are rolling around on the floor in the grocery store, because I didn't buy them candy, I'm feeling all this pressure. So then I'm feeling embarrassed. So then my feelings of embarrassment cause me to react and to emotionally vomit on them because I'm trying to contain a situation. Yeah. And in that moment, when I go back to my children and I say, Hey guys, I'm so sorry. Because what happened was I allowed my feelings to then become on you in a way that's not healthy for you. Yep. I'm not excusing the choice that you made. I'm just making sure that you understand that my choice was wrong also. Yeah. And then we make a plan on what to do next time. Yeah. And um, a technique I use is that, our superpower as a parent or a carer for children is that um, we've got the power of timeline. So that we have that time to pause, reflect and come back. And that really, I find it, with my daughter, that has the most impact that she's like, whoa, this is still with you and you've thought about this and you've come back and allows her to sink in. And then we, that's where the real deep, conversations come from it's that time the power of the time as well um when it comes to the parents dealing with the unique times right now and making sure they're well um what's a few tips you would have for parents um when it comes to making sure they're in a good spot for 
supporting their children. Ah, uh, yeah, that's that's so important um, because children are taking their cues off of us, and um, it's it's so important that because the fear of the unknown is always greater than the fear of the known, and that's why it's so important for us. Um, I actually encourage um, all families to really reduce the um, the news that they play in the house. Yep. Um, because what happens is you've got this constant squawking in the background of the people telling us how we're all going to die. Yeah. And with that, it's like planting seeds of uncertainty in the minds of your children. And if it's on all day, it's just on and on and on. It's not good for you. It's not good for them. So watch it. And if you're going to watch it, sit down with them. So then you can watch it together and then you're helping them interpret what does this mean? Yeah. So that you're just reducing all of this brain time that is just overloaded with uncertainty. And I just, I encourage us as parents ourselves to reduce it so that we can have more certainty in our life. So then we can give that as a gift to our children. Um, but really looking at just looking at sleep and diet and structure. Yeah. Just like predictability helps provide stability for our kids, it also does it for us. Um, I know when I got back from Australia, back over to uh, Central Standard Time in the United States, my sleep-wake schedule was off, and it just felt like everything was a little off. Um, and it's just real important that even if you work at home and you don't have to go to work, to still get up and get showered and get ready and even though it's cool to work in your pajamas to say that you are, it's actually good to get into a pattern of just get up, get ready, start your day. Because what happens is when you're at home, it all seems like it strings together and there's no stop and there's no start. And we need to allow our brains to know, okay, we can just kind of package up this day and put it away and we'll be ready for a new day tomorrow. So the more that you can have a predictable schedule that, um, allows you rest time to get the sleep that you need, the better that you're going to be and the better that you will be, the better that you'll be for your children. Yeah. And, um, and I know you've got extensive knowledge and shifting gears a bit here in um, children and screen time and families in screen time. So when it comes to screen time, I know you've got a, um, you've got the online, the website as well, parentingandtechnology.com. So there's some details on there and some videos to watch for our listeners. All of all of the um, details and links will be in the show notes. Uh, but talking a bit about with more children going online, um, what's some tips um, for parents to support their children with so much screen increased screen time? Yeah, you know, I tell you what, that's so interesting because everything that I talked about before the virus before the pandemic was about how to help your children thrive. And right now I've shifted my gears just a little bit saying, Hey, let's just survive. Yeah. Um, because um, I, in my home, I have like really tight boundaries about how much technology and about doing purposeful technology. Um, and I've, I've relaxed that just a little bit um, just because there are some times that like, I really do need to get work done. And and I'm not like in no way am I saying technology is a babysitter, but what I am saying is I'm having to pick and choose my battles. Yeah. So 
I'm making sure certain things are getting done. So where I was a real hard line on the amount of screen time, which I still am to a degree, um, because my children would definitely tell you that I am. <laughs> um, but I've shifted it more towards purposeful time. Um, like, okay, what are you doing on technology and how does that make your life better? Yeah. So I don't get hung up on, are they on their 45 minutes or are they on their 65 minutes? It's more, let's have a discussion about what you're doing and how does that make you better? Because it's okay to get online and to laugh. It's okay to get online and look at something new. Um, but what I don't want them to get into this pattern of just getting online to mindlessly pass the time. Yeah. Because we can come up with a lot of more creative ways to do that. Yeah. And so, there's a lot, of, I'm very, you know, coming from that nature play, outdoor play, like the, from that sector and that, that corridor, like your education versus psychology type of corridor, um, from that corridor, it's like screen time's evil. <laughs> um, it's bad. You can't have any, et cetera, et cetera. But for, for me personally, it's really enhanced my learning because it really complements the way I learn. I can go down rabbit holes. I can get different corridors and get them to mash together and see similarities um, opposed to a book or a textbook where I'd be flicking. I'd be like, flick that. <laughs> the only flicking I'd do is <laughs> flick it over my shoulder. Um, so I've, I can't say tech's bad as a playground guy because it's helped me so, so, so much and it continues to help me now. So what's your view on screen time in the modern world? So uh, I think it's just way too much. <laughs> I do. Yeah. Uh, if you don't have a purpose to be on there, then I think that you shouldn't be on there. And I'll be honest that I'm guilty of it too, that I find myself like just a natural reaction to look on something because I don't want to miss something. And I think back to when I was growing up, I mean, all that we had was a phone that hung on the wall and like, I don't regret all these things that somehow I magically missed back then when we didn't have all of this. Yeah. You so still don't have fun. It really goes back. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. So it's, it just goes back to all of those beautiful moments that are missed because our heads are stuck in screens. Yeah. I think the thing that really launched all of this for me, um, it was, it was on the news. There was a picture of a guy sitting on a sailboat looking at his phone and then a whale had breached right in front of him. And he, and the way the picture showed it, did, he didn't see it. Mm. And to me, that just like, it just gutted me because I thought, Oh my goodness, like what have I missed in life right in front of me? Because my head was in a phone. So yeah. now I want to encourage all families that we weren't raised, I'll speak for me. I wasn't raised in a home with cell phones and internet. So it's not like I had this appropriate set of parenting responsibilities modeled for me that I should get it right the first time. Yeah. Like we're all like cutting new ground. So we should all just cut each other a little slack here and figure out some ways to make the most of the moments. And to me, that's just what mindless technology does is we miss out on all the great things in life yeah. because technology will always be there. And that's actually one way that technology is good because my son will say, Oh, I've got to watch this. I got to watch this. And I'll be like, ah, you can stream it some other time. It'll always be there. Yeah. So that allows us to be present in the moment because you really can go back. And what's interesting is nine times out of 10, he will never, ever, ever go back. 
Yeah. Yeah, and then not only just the physical phone distraction, what's happening with the framing of our brain when we're constantly like viewing things in snippets and viewing our timeline in our head as the future, the past or someone else's lives, that phone turns off. It might not be, you might not be looking at the screen, but I feel that these people's brains are still operating on looking at other people, not being present, you know, and when those basic needs aren't met, and it's it's an easy escape right now. Yeah, easy yeah, that's escape. right. Because it it keeps us. It doesn't allow us to experience the full emotion of the present moment. Yeah. And to me, that I have a concern for children that when they, like, I think about when I would go on trips with my parents as a child. Like the best that we could do was coming up with. Like, what's a sign that starts with the first letter of the alphabet and then trying to get through all the letters of the alphabet all the way, playing these car road games, yeah. you know, and, and what that required us to do was to really sit in the present moment and to be okay. Yeah. And that actually allowed our imagination to think and create and to experience emotions in a way that if you're always on your phone, you never experience them. Yeah. You're never okay with the tranquility of the moment because you're always scrambling because you're missing something and being okay with the sucky bits as well. You know, acknowledging yeah. that this yeah. present time you can call it unique, but you know, there is a lot of people hurting and they can openly say and sit with it and say, this really sucks. And this mm. makes me feel like this instead of leaving that coming back to the pressure cooker again. Yeah. Keeping it, keeping it locked down. We're looking at that phone, keeping that pressure cooker locked and it's got to go somewhere. Um, and just to switch it up, how, how are we getting these parents with some tips to support their children in, in this time right now? You know, one of the things that, um, that I do with my children, um, from the time that they were really little, I would always say to them, like, even when I was rocking them in a rocking chair before they could even speak, I would say, what's my job? And then I would say to keep you safe. Yeah. And then as I got a little older, when they were like one years old, I would say, what's my job? And I'd have them repeat back to me to keep me safe. Yeah. And when they were three, I would say, what's my job? And they would say to keep me safe. And I do that all the way up. I'm my 18 year old. I still do that. And I'll probably do that when she's 50. Yeah. But the whole thing that I wanted them to understand was that in every moment, whatever I do, my number one job is to keep them safe. Yeah. So when my child was four years old and she was afraid of the dark in the room, I would go up and I would say, okay, first, let me look around. So I'd look around for her just so that she'd feel like I did something. And then I would look her in the eyes and I would say, what is my job? And she would say, to keep me safe. And I'd say, that's right. So right now, I would never ask you to sleep in your room if it wasn't safe, because that's my number one job. And I would just say it over and over and over again. Well, now in these uncertain times, when I talk to my children and I talk about this, I'm very honest. Yeah. I'm like, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I want you to know, and I want to hear like, what's my job. And then they would say to keep me safe. And I'm like, that's right. So that's why I'm always on the lookout for what's the right thing to do 
right now for us. Hmm. So even in a world where we have, we don't know all the answers, I want you to remember this one truth. And that one truth is that I'm here to keep you safe. So reminding them of that responsibility that I have in their lives helps boil down all the excess noise to that one statement that they can repeat over and over and over that my dad's job is to keep me safe. That's awesome. And that's probably the biggest thing. And for those families out there, it's not too late. (laughs) You don't, you did it from birth, but you start now. Yeah. Start now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you can reflect on all the times that you have done it, where you had made choices to keep them safe. And let me tell you, it comes in like a huge advantage. Like this is outside of the coronavirus, but with teenagers that there are times my daughters have asked me, can I do this? And I'm like, no, you cannot, but it's not the place to discuss it. And I'm like, we'll talk about it later, but I need you to understand, you know what my number one job is, and this doesn't allow me to do my job. Yeah. So then they do what teenagers do, you know, <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, that's okay. We'll talk about it later. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's never too late. It's never too late. That's awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jason. Um, I've got my notes for me to go back and activate and I'm sure everyone's listening has got so much out of this, this podcast and, I feel so blessed and fortunate to spend this time with you and have met you through Sam from Parent TV and I look forward to this relationship ongoing and I'd love to have you back on again and and go deep into get deep into play. I've got all these notes that we didn't get to but I don't even care because we got so much out of this. So thank you so much for having uh, being here. <laughs> Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us again on Play It Forward Worthy Podcast. That was the amazing Jason Gibson. If you wanted to learn more about um, everything that Jason is doing, head over to parenttv.com, head over to parentandtechnology.com. Links are in the show notes. Um, Look forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks so much.